came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here, Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today to find out what's going on in America, what's going on in the world. We have DEA agent Frank Tarantino on what's going on with drugs. Are things getting any better? KT McFarlane. Gordon Chang, what's going on in the Far East? Dr. Sky, when you look up in the sky, what do we see? Dr. Peter Michalos, how are we going to live longer? And let's start with Bill Parker, 30 years in the Navy and former president of the East-West Institute to keep peace in the world. Let's, do, let's go to Dr. Bill Parker. With us today is Dr. William J. Parker, 30 years in the Navy, uh, was chief of staff to Naval Surface uh, Forces, president of the East-West Institute. Dr. Parker, uh, we were talking a couple of days ago, and you said to me that you have never in your 30 or 40 years between the Navy and the other institutions you served worried so much about what's going on in our country. Can you tell all Americans about it this Sunday morning? John, first of all, good to be back on your show. And, uh, you know, I, I said to you about two weeks before the current administration was sworn in on this show that the president will be tested and he must be strong on day one or we would find ourselves in conflict around the globe. After the debacle of a pullout in Afghanistan where we left countless allies and about $60 billion in equipment behind, we discussed again on your show that that week that the terrorist groups and nation states would be emboldened. So these events, in addition to a weakened economy and nearly open southern border, have led to a real threat to our security. So, so what have we seen, John, since you and I have been talking back and forth on this over the last uh, couple of years? We've seen the Russians emboldened to attack Ukraine. We've seen the Iranians emboldened to attack Israel and over 50 attacks on U.S. facilities in the last month alone through their proxies. And we have no idea how many people who wish us harm have entered our country as a result of the southern border. The Russians and the Chinese have conducted joint military operations off the coast of Alaska for the past three years, and this year with 11 warships, while they continue to fly close to our aircraft in the South China Sea and basically say, get out of our way. And don't forget the Chinese flew spy balloons over the U.S. earlier this year, hovering over some of our most sensitive bases. And when the U.S. finally shot it down, we did so over salt water instead of capturing it so we could discover the sensitive information that was possibly being collected. So there we are. Everybody's scratching their heads. Why is, well, why is yeah. the White House, why is the Department of Defense giving these kind of orders? And who is giving these orders? And how did the people in, in the normal command feel about them? What the heck is going on? Well, I, I, can't, uh, I can't say why uh, certain decisions are being made, but, uh, but, but I can say what the results are. And what we need to do to uh, change and change pretty quickly. We have the smallest Air Force in our history right now. We have, a, we have a Navy that is just flat out old and getting older and very small, smaller than the Chinese now. 
We have an army that has been worn out over years of war, and, and we have some we have some serious work to do here. Meanwhile, when you look at Israel in particular, and you had mentioned this to me the other day, it's the deadliest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. I mean, 1,400 Israelis were killed in that assault, 240 taken hostage. And as a result of that, and a result of what Hamas did, they had about 10,000 of their own people killed as well because they started this war with Israel. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty ugly to say the very least. And these terrorist groups and these nations are being emboldened. All I think we, we need to do is go back and look at the the Budapest Amendment, and we can talk about that if you'd like to. Yeah, please do. I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, ninety nine percent of people believe that Iran is responsible. Iran is supplying the money to play to pay Hamas to do to do their dirty work. In uh, Hamas. Uh, uh, they're just hired killers. I mean, uh... they, they absolutely, absolutely brutal, John. I mean, they're beheading babies. I'm sorry, but you cross the line when you start beheading kids and babies. When you start going in and just raping and pillaging, that's not warfare. That's not about national security. That that's just about being evil, bad people. And these people need to be taken down, and they need to be taken down hard so that they can't come back up again. And and we have to fight them a second time. Any of the generals standing up and saying this is wrong? I'm sure there are. I mean, I've certainly talked to a lot of them uh, behind the scenes, et cetera. Don't want to don't want to put any of them in particular in in a bad situation. But there are people that are very concerned right now. There's also people that are scratching their head over this Budapest Security Assurance Agreement that we signed under the Clinton administration, started under under George H. W. Bush, went into Clinton, and and you know that, that agreement. This is back in 1994. And by the way, who oversaw it? Who was the ambassador there? It was Tony Blinken's father, Ambassador Blinken. So the current Secretary of State's father was there. And that agreement basically said that at the time, Ukraine would have been the third largest holder of nuclear weapons in the world. And so we said, look, we don't want this to happen as the wall falls, et cetera. We don't want all these countries of nuclear weapons. So what we did was we signed an agreement, the United States, Russia, and Ukraine signed this. And what we said was, we will take care of your security and make sure that you are not incurred, that you have sovereignty if you give up your nukes. Ukraine gave up their nukes. Russia signed the agreement. The United States signed the agreement. Ukraine signed the agreement. And then China and the UK also signed a softer version of that. And the result is we're not ensuring that Ukraine right now is safe. And we should have done this before the incursion ever started. Somebody should have gone, Vladimir, do not cross that line. And he gave us plenty of indications that he was going. He very slowly moved his forces up on the border to see if we were going to do anything. He very slowly then added, added more forces right up to the border and started moving aircraft up. He was telling us exactly what he was going to do, and we let it happen. Well, Gaddafi trusted the United States. Saddam Hussein trusted the United States. What happened to them? Right. Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, you can, you can go on beyond that. You can, you can look at Panama. The leader of Panama used to, used to be very, very close to the United States. We did not hold these people accountable along the way while we were getting information from them. And when they gave up their nukes or gave up their special weapons, this is where we end up. So it's a, it's a real concern, and we have to shift this back around. We also have to build a military again that can deter and, and deter is both the intent and capability. And, and the fact that we don't have enough ships, enough aircraft, enough army right now to actually deter what's going on around the globe is a huge concern. 
Can we fight three wars at the same time if China opened up another front in the East? No, the answer, the answer is no. We, we decided as a country over a decade ago that we would switch from a two MTW, two major theater war and two major contingency capability down to two MCOs, two major combat operations, and then one MCO. And when we did that, we then started restructuring our, our forces to have smaller numbers. So remember under John Lehman, we had a 600-ship Navy and said we need to be able to do two major theater war and two major contingencies at one time. We're now down to one major contingency, which is a, a huge problem. And so we went from a, a Navy that had 289 ships up to 600 under John Lehman or heading in that direction, back down to less than 300 now, no longer the biggest Navy in the world. And that is a huge, huge problem. As you decommission ships, you at least have to build and replace those, the same with aircraft. We're the oldest aircraft in the world. Why do we get rid of the F-22, the most capable aircraft we have? It's absolutely beyond my understanding of why we would do these things. We're still flying B, 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 we're still flying B-52s. I understand that we're re-engining them with Rolls-Royce engines now, but the B-52 is how many years old? I'll, I'll give you a better one. Eisenhower, President Eisenhower was the guy who built the KC-135, which we were refueling aircraft during Iraq and Afghanistan with KC-135s, the ones that were funded under the Eisenhower administration. That's yes, 70 they're years ago. And everything. Exactly. We have, we have got to reconstitute and rebuild our military pretty quickly right now. But it's not, just about, it's not just about that. It's about intent and capability and being smart about things, too, and being smart about relationships. I do believe in my heart of hearts that we could have brought Russia onto our side had we been smart about it early on. They were predominantly Christian. They were predominantly, uh, there was another country that didn't have a good time in Afghanistan. They had issues with China. They still have issues with China. We had a chance to bring them on and we didn't do that. And so now they are a huge enemy again. And that's, that's a problem. Uh, China. I, I agree. I do not think that we, I do not think we will ever be close to China. We just have too many differences. I think maybe we can work economically with them, et cetera. I do not think we will be close to China in our lifetimes. Dr. William Parker, thank you very much for coming on this Sunday morning and, and telling it the way it is. And uh, I pray for our country and uh, I will light, a church, will light an extra candle at church today. John, I appreciate it. And I'll leave your, your audience with one more thing. Remember, for the last three years, the Chinese and Russian have conducted combat operation exercises just off the coast of Alaska. This year was their largest exercise. This is not by coincidence. They are showing us that they are building their capability and they're building it together. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
Welcome back to the Catch Round Table. With us today this Sunday morning is Frank Tarantino III, and he's a special agent in charge of Drug Enforcement Administration in the New York Division. Frank Tarantino, are we winning or losing the, the battle with fentanyl? I mean, we hear it all around town, all around the, the country, all around the world. So good morning, John. I would just tell you that we're having wins every day in this in this fight to save lives and to stop the flow of fentanyl. We've had a number of increasingly successful operations. The first thing that the American people need to know is that we've we've mapped this threat. So we know who the enemy is now. And now that we know the enemy, which is Mexico and China, and we understand what the cartels are doing, we have launched a strategic approach to essentially take out the two cartels. If you go back in April, we announced a major indictment of 28 members of the Sinaloa cartel taking out the Chapitos. Then in June, we extradited Ovidio, one of the sons of El Chapo. And then in September, we had a massive operation and we announced the indictment of four Chinese companies and eight Chinese nationals, again, targeting Mexico and China. So we're having a significant amount of success also in the New York region. You've probably noticed in the Bronx, we've had a number of successful operations. Unfortunately, the death of the young child at the daycare was widely publicized. It should never happen. But we found justice in we were able to successfully locate the perpetrators of that crime, and we're going to continue to pursue all those that were responsible for that fatality. We've had a number of successful operations in the Bronx as of late, one in a pizza parlor, another in a heroin fentanyl mill. So we're going to continue to put the pressure on the cartels and the organizations that are causing the most harm in New York City, and it's a relentless fight that we're involved in. How well are you working with the NYPD in New York now? I mean, they're tied up with problems with the DA, local DAs, the state DAs. Is that interfering with your work at all? Absolutely not, John. Matter of fact, you know, our history, our rich history goes back 50 years with our partnership with the NYPD. The, the oldest task force in the country is right here in the New York Division with NYPD, the state police, and DEA. A lot of the investigations that I just mentioned were a uh, large part through the partnership with, with those three agencies. Um, so we're not, we're not affected uh, necessarily by any of that that you mentioned. We, we continue this battle. We continue to make the cases that are having an impact. What I would say is that, interestingly, we're working hard to get through education, prevention, and awareness, the data out to the citizens about the harm. But also, interestingly, we're using these operations as another method and means to get the attention out in the public eye. And as you have seen, a lot of these operations have been in the media or on social media. And that that has a, a nice impact and in, in gives us the reach that we want to have in the community so that they understand the threat. So we really appreciate that. And, and we thank you for having us on because really it's about educating people. Do you have a hotline or if somebody sees something coming down, uh, what's the best way to, to, go, to go to their website and through a hotline or a telephone? Uh, well, what's the best way for people to let you know what's going on? So, John, we have a DEA.gov site that has a tip line on it. So we would tell people to go to DEA.gov, and then there's there's a link for the tips. But also go to DEA.gov backslash one pill. 
so that they can go and download some of the publications and educational material that parents, educators, and caregivers would need to help the most vulnerable identify and understand the threat that they're up against. The problem here in New York, you feel good that it's getting better and you have better control over it. It, John, it is getting better. I mean, it may not seem that way with all of the attention in the media with our operations, but I will tell you that the seizures are going up. We're, we're having a greater impact in the dismantling of the cartels. Other community activists or other community uh, organizations are getting involved in this fight with us. We have a, a stronger coalition within the community, within these, these citywide groups. We have partnerships that we never had before. We just had our second annual family summit at John Jay College, where we had a number of families, over 80 families, participate. And so we're building out our network so that we can expand our reach of education, prevention, and awareness in the community. And John, you know, every day, our agents, our analysts, our diversion investigators, our task force officers are on the front lines every day saving lives. Well, that is uh, good news to hear. I mean, uh, it's good to have some confidence in what's going on now. And I mean, I was so disappointed in some of the elections we've had in the last week or so, but you, you gave me new confidence, uh, Special Agent uh, Frank Tarantino. And uh, w- w- anything else we can do to help? John, I just think that the more that we can get the message out to the American people about the threat that they face with fentanyl, the threat that the cartels and the Chinese criminal groups present, this existential threat is real. This is a public health, public safety, and national security risk, and the DEA is here to stem that tide and to make a difference and keep our communities healthy and safe. Frank Tarantino, thank you for everything you've done, 24 years uh, helping the American people and keep going, and we just have to help each other and do whatever we can to, to help our country. Well, you're helping us a tremendous amount. We really do appreciate it. I mean that sincerely. In God we trust, but we, we trust in your work too. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. With us today is KT McFarland, uh, was Deputy National Security Advisor uh, uh, under Michael Flynn in uh, the first months of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, KT, what the heck is going on? I mean, uh, uh, it looks like Iran or, uh, is attacking our troops, and they're, t- they're, they're making attacks on, uh, on uh, actual U.S. troops. And uh, there's been complaints by friends of mine that uh, are retired military that uh, we're not taking the right reaction to that. Well, first of all, the Biden administration and the Obama administration before it have empowered Iran. They've had this unrequited love affair with Iran, and Iran has played them for fools. President Biden alone has given Iran the equivalent of probably $100 billion in oil revenues and sanctions that were not enforced. And so he's given Iran what Iran needs to pay for its nuclear weapons program, to pay for Hamas, Hezbollah, terrorism, to pay for the war on Israel. And in addition to that, the Biden administration is still sort of chasing around some nuclear weapons deal, which in effect allows Iran to have nuclear weapons. And even so, Iran doesn't want to have anything to do with the Biden administration. So Iran's behind the war on Israel. Iran keeps fighting because they've got all the money and because nobody's deterring them. The weakness of President Biden that was shown throughout his administration of not standing up to Russia over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, over the shambolic withdrawal from Afghanistan, over the failure to stand up to China over trade issues and many other issues, and now what's happening in the Middle East. 
all of that is a cumulative process of weakness. And the world looks at Biden and the United States and says, you know, this is our moment to, to really go after the United States. The United States is in decline. They're never going to recover. This is our moment. And so that's what Iran is doing. So what they're, they're Iran is taking the advantage. States. They're taking advantage of President Biden not being tough enough, I guess. I mean, what, what say you? They're taking advantage of not being tough enough, being senile, and then, and then probably most of all being such a pushover. You know, if, if you look at uh, Iranians or Persians, Persians invented chess. They're playing this game exactly the way they want it. And what they wanted, they knew in the very beginning with Israel, they couldn't defeat Israel militarily or economically, but they could defeat Israel in the court of public opinion. That's why they encouraged Hamas to attack and did so in such a brutal way that Israel would have to respond. So here we are, one month in, and Israel is doing what Israel has to do, which is to eradicate and eliminate Hamas as a force of evil in the world. And the world, public opinion, is now turning against Israel for the Palestinian government, for the Hamas terrorists. And I never thought I would see the day on the streets of the United New York City, on the streets of New York, where Jewish people are being harassed by pro-Hamas terrorist groups purporting to be American citizens. It looks like almost like there's going to be a civil war between the, the Palestinian uh, Americans and the, and the Jewish Americans, and nobody, nobody's drawing a line and saying enough is enough of this uh, crap. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a strong right. leader. A strong leader. You're a strong leader. You've run companies. You've run, you know, you've created empires. A strong leader would say, here's a crisis that we have. Let's bring, the, let's bring Jewish Americans into the White House. Let's have a photo op with the president of the United States and leaders of the Jewish community. Is President Biden doing any of that? No, he's ducking. And as a result, the, the far left of his party, the tail wagging the dog, the people who are anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-America, are the ones that are calling the shots. And it is leading to more and more domestic unrest and domestic confusion, civil war in the Democrat Party, for sure. But at the end of the day, if the United States separates from Israel, which it is starting to do, Israel is going to say, we've got no choice, we've got to go it alone. And then I think the war escalates, because every country decides, not only is it our chance to get at America, but let's go eliminate Israel while we're at it. The American people, I got, and I've been trying to say this almost every day, and I think I said that to you, too. We were under uh, President Trump. Uh, we allowed Iran to, to do 400,000 barrels a day at $50 a barrel, which is chump change. Under President Biden, they're doing three million, three and a half million barrels a day. They're making $2 billion a, a week in profit that they're using for terrorism. I mean, uh, th th this is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. You know, the Trump administration, we understood, and it was President Trump who understood at first that if we could dominate the world energy market, we could drive the price from $100 a barrel to $50 a barrel. We would bankrupt Russia. We would bankrupt Iran. They wouldn't be able to make war, even if they wanted to make war. It would be great for our own economy, by the way. But that's why during the Trump administration, you didn't hear from Russia. You didn't hear from Iran. They were broke. They were bankrupt. We were even seeing evidence that, that Hamas and Hezbollah, during the final years of the Trump administration, they were complaining to Iran that Iran was cutting off their funds because Iran didn't have the money to support them. You know, it would have been a very different world if President Trump were still in office. Iran would be broke. Russia would be broke. American economy would be thriving. And there would be peace in the Middle East between Israel and Saudi Arabia and the Sunni countries. Uh, what else would you like to tell the American people? I mean, it, it, it's, it, we have a mess in our hands. 
if you were in the Oval Office, what would you whisper in the president's ear? The one silver bullet that solves most of our problems is American energy. If we allow the American energy producers to do what they can do, we could power the world. We would cut the price of oil in half. We would bankrupt the bad guys. We would fix the American economy. And it would also be good for the environment because companies using free market principles would switch from dirty coal, dirty oil, to clean American natural gas. The infrastructure is not there for the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal bankrupted Germany. It will bankrupt the United States. It is far better to use the silver bullet that the good Lord gave us, which is American energy. And uh, the electric vehicles, I understand, are almost bankrupting General Motors and uh, Ford and uh, the rest of our automobile companies. All we have to do is look at what Britain did about a month ago. Great Britain was one of the leaders in the Green New Deal movement, as was Germany. And the British prime minister said to his conference, he said, you know, we can't afford it. The Green New Deal isn't working. We don't have the infrastructure. It's costing the British people too much. It's putting us into low economic growth, if potentially recession. we got to put it on pause. The Germans are going through the same thing. Those, are, those two guys are the canary in the coal mine. We should watch what they've done, and we should take the lesson for the United States. And the advantage is that we have shale oil, shale natural gas. We, have, we get energy out of rocks, and we have the best rocks in the world, and we ought to use them. Thank you, KT McFarland. Thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And we'll catch up again real soon. It's an honor and a pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. <laughs> if you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. What is today is Gordon Chang, an author, an expert on the Middle East and Far East, a senior scholar at the Gatestone Institute. He had a book, or has a book, The Coming Collapse of China, and his Twitter handle to stay in touch with him, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, there's a meeting coming up between President Biden and President Xi of China. Why are they meeting? Yeah. This meeting is scheduled for Wednesday, and they're meeting because President Biden believes that it's important to maintain channels of communication with Beijing. I think the meeting is not going to be productive and certainly does not serve American interests because we've been talking to China intensively for three decades after the Cold War. But during this time, China's behavior has only deteriorated, become much more belligerent, provocative and aggressive. And uh, I don't think there's anything that Biden can say that hasn't been said during the past uh, decades. So it's time for the United States to stop talking to China and start imposing severe costs for clearly unacceptable behavior. I, I think uh, China is stalling to see what c- comes of the Ukraine, what comes of, of Iran, what comes of uh, Israel. You, you believe that, too? Yes. Certainly, the the Chinese do not want the United States to impose sanctions on China for supplying lethal aid to Russia for use in Ukraine. And certainly, they don't want us to enforce the sanctions that we've been imposed on purchases of Iranian oil. China is buying Iranian oil at an accelerated pace, up about 60 percent in volume over pre-sanction levels. And so I think Beijing wants to stall because they're realizing that they can do whatever they want as long as they talk to the United States. Because as we talk, 
we do not impose those costs. We don't impose those costs because we think that by doing so, we would anger the Chinese, and angered Chinese will cut off communications with us. At least that's what uh, the Biden administration thinks. You know, John, our policies, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, over the course of decades, had sounded responsible. They sound like they should work, but unfortunately, they've created this disastrous situation with China. So we need to try something new. And China knows they want to continue to do business with us. I mean, we're, we're their lifeline for commerce, aren't we? Yes. And I think one of the reasons why Xi Jinping desperately wants this meeting with Biden is because he wants Biden to continue to signal to American business to stay in China, where he really should be trying to get them off Chinese soil as fast as possible. You know, Xi's policies have been to, first of all, cut China off from the rest of the world to the greatest extent possible, but also to bolster state institutions over domestic private entrepreneurs and, of course, foreign business. So foreign business, American business has been leaving China. In the third calendar quarter of this year, there was a drop in investment flows in foreign direct investment for the first time since they've been keeping these statistics. And it really shows, you know, Businesses are leaving. Biden shouldn't be helping China at this crucial moment. I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, listen, I don't mind helping China, but I think President Biden has overhelped them. And I, I, and I believe that, that uh, almost every decision that President Biden has made has hurt the American people. I mean, and I, I you know, from the, their energy, from, from electric vehicles. We were talking yesterday, uh, Gordon Chang, we were talking yesterday on one of our shows that with all the electric vehicles being bought from China with their technology, with their batteries, if you have a, what do you call those, electronic storms? Yeah, um, not... Well, electric magnetic pulse um, yeah. storms, which would basically disable computer chips in the United States. Which it would, it would stop... Or it would stop every electric vehicle. It's like, you know, in time of war, you hit, China hits a button, we're out of business. You won't be able to drive across the street. Yes. Um, I think the drive toward electric vehicles is misguided for a lot of reasons. And, you know, this really became highlighted when Governor Gavin Newsom of California was in China because one of the things that he did there was to test drive a car from BYD company an EV. Now, whatever one thinks of EVs, and I think that's an awful idea, Gavin Newsom should not be promoting Chinese EVs over American ones like Tesla's. So this just shows how misguided a significant portion of the American public is when it comes to automobiles. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, right now there is in the United States a surge of anti-Semitism. And the Biden administration has not been able to deal effectively with it. We've got to understand that we are in a global struggle with a coalition of bad actors, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and the backer of them all, China. And we've got to stand behind Israel. Israel is a free society. It's a democracy. It's a friend of the United States, has been since its founding. And we have got to stand together with our other friends at a time where this is struggle and war is spreading across the world. Gordon Chang, I pray, I hope they make some progress, because I pray for our country, some progress with that meeting in San Francisco. Maybe we'll, we'll catch up uh, next Thursday and uh, you fill us in on what you think uh, happened. 
Well, thank you so very much, John. I look forward to that. Thank you so much. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Well, it's Sunday morning, and every Sunday morning, we wonder what the heck is going on up in the skies. And with us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. Steve, what's going on this week? Well, good morning, John. Good to be back on the Cats Roundtable with you and the listeners. We begin with space, and Elon Musk's genius comes front and center here. Get a load of this. The most massive rocket ever launched into space called Starship. We're going to hopefully get set for what's called IFT-2. It stands for Integrated Flight Test 2. In simpler words, it means the second test of the world's most powerful rocket. But the launch window actually opens up as early as this week, on November the 13th. And we'll have to keep you posted. But this Is that the one with the 33 rockets attached to it? Yes, John. It is the 33 Raptor engines, which are an incredible amount of technology. But he's had some delays here because the launch pad was kind of blown to pieces. And, of course, the government review by the FAA and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has gotten involved. So once they get all these approvals, they'll be back. But here's some of the problem they had, John. They have to rebuild that whole launch pad because now they have what's considered a water-covered flame deflection pit. What's that in simple English? It means that before he didn't have a water system in there to kind of abate or slow down some of the rocket blast. So it blew chunks of concrete out there. And they've improved, at least they're saying, I think they have it, all thrust vector controls, which is better control of those, you know, Raptor engines. Last time we had three failed and a few other failed. But just to put it in perspective, John, this rocket is 397 feet tall. Imagine something weighing 11 million pounds. It's two stages. And it puts out, at least they're saying, 16 million pounds of thrust, hoping to do someday 20 million. Compare that to the Saturn V, which had 7.5 million pounds of thrust. This is amazing. It almost seems like science fiction. Isn't this just incredible? We live in great space times. This is fascinating. Well, did they get through the problem they had? Because all 33 engines have to go off at the same time. And to me, they lost like five or six of them last time when they had to abort. Yes, they had problems with three, but then they're also saying, if you look at some of the video footage, that some of them had not just a problem of lighting. They had a problem where they're vectoring. In other words, instead of having the rocket motors just stay straight, those you know cones, the bezels on the bottom, they need to do a little bit of what they call gimbling back and forth. Some of that didn't work properly. So you see the big rocket getting up there about you know 24 miles, and then all of a sudden it just starts to spin. So they push the abort button. But that looks like, at least that's what they're telling us, uh, you know, these liquid methane rockets, these Raptors are quite great technology, but that's a hell of a lot of rocket motors, don't you think? I mean, that's incredible. That, that's, to me, that's too many, and with 25, you're depending on them, all 25 to go on. I wonder if there's a loss factor that's acceptable. Don't know, but I'll tell you this much. This is not modeled right after Russia's failed rocket, not, not to knock Elon. These people have some pretty good, you know, rocket scientists to go down there. But the problem with the big Russian N-1 rocket is it had tremendous numbers of engines, just like we're talking about with this one on Starship. So let's hope things go better. But maybe you're right. Maybe less motors with more reliability. But we'll have to see what happens, John. That's an interesting story. You know, we move on to the sun again. Last week, we talked a little bit more about the solar cycle. And we talked about that the sunspot cycle 25 will happen earlier And just to repeat, because it's important, it may peak 
in the early part of 2024 or maybe the mid part of 2024. But here's some evidence that it's gone off the charts in a way. Just last week, John, we had three geomagnetic storms, level three. So auroras were visible all the way down where I am in Arizona and all the way down to Texas, just indicating that this solar cycle is just so incredible. It began back in December of 2019. But there's another nefarious thing that we really can control that comes not from the sun, but equally important, like an EMP blast, you know, from the sun is a man-made EMP blast. And that's something of another subject for another time. But the sun, of course, has been putting out those for so many billions of years. But here we go. We always talk, John. What somebody was telling me the other day, uh, Steve Cates, was it seems like we're in competition with the Chinese and uh, that the more electric cars that we have and the Chinese mostly designing them, that one EMP blast can knock out every electric car in the country. Absolutely, John. You know, we, we, we once had a Tesla you know, in my family, and not that we didn't like the Tesla, it was for different reasons that we sold it, but you're so right. What happens if this massive EMP, not only a blast from the sun, but let's talk about some things around the world, if Russia or China detonated a low atmospheric atomic weapon in the atmosphere, you know, there's many theories, but you're right. These these devices, including many cars, not just electric cars, our cell phones, the grid, everything like that, and some were even saying, I never like to be negative here on the Cats Roundtable, but some were saying if some blast like that occurred, you could have America or other places around the world in a 365-day you know, blackout. So that in itself is scary. But since we talk about the sun, the sun has the capability of doing things like that, too. So we'll keep an eye on it. But what's really that, That's concerning, uh, but uh, thank you for telling much. us. No, it's very much concerning. But we always talk about the mystery of the week. And here's something really literally mind-boggling to open up our minds. Now scientists are saying the universe existed before the Big Bang. Well, many of us thought that that was true. But where's the evidence? What do we need to know? And we're finding out that the, old, the universe is probably older than we thought. But it all started with this tiny, tiny little dot of infinitesimal energy called singularity. And this particular size of this little tiny bit of energy they say was 10 to the negative 25th centimeters in size. Go figure how they can figure that out. That's something off the charts. But we find out that 10 to the negative 30 second seconds, cosmic inflation took place, John, not like we have in the, you know, the world of finance, but cosmic inflation, meaning that the universe started to heat up and start to create galaxies and all the things that we have here. But we're talking about something called space time. And they're saying that it actually existed way before the Big Bang. And it has a lot to do with light. And I know we don't have enough time to go into all these subject matters. But Einstein said this, and it's so interesting. His quote is, the distinction between the past, present, and the future is only an illusion. Know how many times and persistent they may appear. So what we're saying is we really don't know what existed before the Big Bang. But so many of the cosmologists out there say that we might be in a universe, get a load of this, that's not a Big Bang, but a thing called a Big Bounce which means that the universe expands, it contracts, it expands and it contracts, and there's probably many in the multiverse. So we might be what? One of many replicant universes and other universes out there. And tell me, John, if that doesn't open up our minds, what do you think we could talk about? Isn't that amazing? On a Sunday morning, I got to go take two aspirins. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I tell you, my mind doesn't expand that high to understand that, but... uh... Well, I'll keep you posted, but we always remind people, the live sky, this week, John, the moon goes new, 
So if people look out in the early evening by about the 14th into the west, the moon is that beautiful thin crescent moon. We find out that there's a meteor shower called the Leonids, which peaks on the morning of the 18th in the east just before dawn. What do we remind people always to keep your eyes to the skies? And check us out at WABCRadio.com with the Dr. Sky Experience. John, always a privilege and honor to be with you and the many folks listening around the nation here on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius. Knows a lot about history, knows a lot about medicine. And Dr. Peter Mihalos, today, what are we talking about? Well, today we're going to be talking about some uh, good news, and we're going to mix it in with some of the bad news, which is basically warning our audience on things to watch out for. It turns out that uh, ancient diseases like gonorrhea, syphilis, and uh, chlamydia are on the rise. It turns out that last year in the United States, there were 1.6 million cases of chlamydia, 1.7 million cases of gonorrhea, and one of the real worrisome things is there were 3,700 cases of congenital syphilis, which actually killed uh, 251 babies had stillborn and 51 infants died from it. So there has to be, uh, you know, people really need to protect themselves, uh, use protections, get treatment, early treatment when they have any symptoms like uh, burning on urination and other types of discharges because you can sexually transmit these things. I even had a, a, a case that I was made aware of of a 75-year-old a woman who uh, came in and had iritis inflammation in the eye, and one of the tests you do is for syphilis, and it, it had gotten to the brain and the eye, and it turns out she had no idea, but she got it from her husband. She was walking around with it for at least 10 years and had to be treated. The Ten other thing years. that we have to... Yeah, well, it, eventually it becomes scary, which gets into the brain and to the spinal fluid. It can affect mental health. You can see... Uh, the skin starts to change in the palms and the and the hands. So it's very interesting. But what's more concerning is that we're not spending enough money on research and development for the new uh, antibiotics that we need for a lot of the resistant bacteria. And we're seeing a lot of resurgent things like tuberculosis, which we really weren't seeing. It's on the rise again. And there are resistant cases coming in from uh, other countries from around the world. And we uh, have to develop the new and latest and greatest uh, antibiotics to treat some of these diseases. So I'm just telling our audience that if you have any suspicion that you have it or your partner might have it, that please go get tested. There are clinics available throughout the United States to get tested. And oftentimes there are free clinics. If people just look up free clinics for STD, sexually transmitted disease testing, they do exist. And another way to tell to people without insurance, I tell them one way to find out if you have any diseases that are bacterial are go and donate blood. And when you donate blood and then you ask for the lab work, and if you get rejected as a blood donor, guess what? Something came back positive. And that's a free way to get your blood work done by doing a good thing, trying to donate blood. But then you can ask for the results and review them with your doctor. On a happy note, some exciting news out of Eli Lilly that the uh, diabetes drug Munjaro, which is injectable, has now uh, been repurposed as something called Zepbound, 
which has been approved for weight loss. And people who are on it, we're seeing a lot of people in Hollywood have been using it. You know, long term, we, you know, we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. But I think probably at least for short term, I see some people are using it for like a few months just to take like significant amounts of weight off. And it seems to help dramatically. And of course, your cardiovascular risk and the risk of all of the diseases drops when we uh, lose weight. So that's an exciting thing. And a lot of the bariatric surgeons who do the stomach stapling aren't too happy because uh, what they do is going to be pretty obsolete now with some of these new class of medicines called peptides. And we'll be hearing a lot more about peptides, which are signaling proteins that are being used for various conditions. The first peptide we really used was called insulin. And these signaling proteins are available, mostly integrative medicine doctors uh, specialize in that because a lot of them you can't get patents on. The government is trying to regulate it. But I was discussing it with a peptide specialist, Dr. Magdalena, who prescribes these things. And, and they do, I've seen people getting better with various conditions. So we do have these signaling molecules. We are a big bag of chemicals and we need to balance it out. That's why it's important to do your annual physical, find out what your lab work is, and try to balance everything out to keep everything under control so that you can stay healthy and uh, in good shape. Understood. Understood. Uh, we got another minute left. Uh, anything else you want to tell the American people on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I want to tell the American people that uh, we're very happy that the COVID numbers are down. There's still some COVID deaths, flu deaths, RSV deaths. But we're very grateful that we have these various treatments, uh, antivirals like uh, malnupiravir and others, and Paxlovid, and uh, another one that's look, looking amazing coming out of Japan that might be approved within the next uh, a year or so here in the United States where you take it right away and you get better. So that is exciting uh, news that we're not seeing those dramatic deaths and everything we went through, and we're finally uh, getting things uh, to look a lot better and a lot positive. So I keep telling our audience, continue to try to eat healthy, stay healthy, think about the Mediterranean diet, think about intermittent fasting, take your vitamin D, and uh, continue listening to WABC for more health tips on living longer and staying healthier. And always consult with your personal physician and continue thinking positive and testing negative. And thank you for always getting the truth out on the CATS Roundtable. Thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos, and we're going to catch up again real soon. And thank you for keeping our listeners and our audience healthier. Thank you. Thank you, John. How the heck is the economy going? Larry, what's going on? Well, um, I saw Moody's downgraded the near-term outlook i'm not sure what that means they kept the triple a rating but they downgraded the near-term outlook i mean look at i <laughs> i don't think any of that stuff matters but look at joe biden won't stop spending i mean basically biden and schumer want two more omnibus spending bills okay with no pay fors one of them's for foreign aid supplemental that's uh, ukraine israel uh supposedly the border and Taiwan. Again, they don't want any pay fors. And then is the whole budget bill, which is on continuing resolution until next week. What is it? November 17th. And um, 
you don't know what's inside these bills, these mammoth bills, that totally untransparent. The taxpayers don't know what's in these bills. And all they do is use them to cover up massive new amounts of spending. And I love it that they're attacking the new speaker, Mike Johnson. Johnson's the guy who wants regular order on the budget appropriations, number one. And number two, he wants uh, spending cuts. He wants offsets. He wants to cut a little bit out of the IRS expansion to pay for all this foreign aid. So, you know, (laughs) this is kind of an old story. Bidenomics doesn't work. How's that? (laughs) Thank you, Larry Kudlow. (laughs) Thanks, John. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.